John chapter 20. The greatest man in history, named Jesus, had no servants, yet they called him master. Had no degree, yet they called him teacher. Had no medicines, yet they called him healer. Had no army, yet kings were afraid of him. He fought no military battles, and yet he is conquering the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today, and he's alive in me. Are you glad about it? Amen. Amen. If you, if you want to discover something very encouraging, just Google Indonesia Revival. Now, Indonesia is known as the world's largest Muslim country, but it's not. Over half the population has been converted to Christ. And out of fear of terrorism and all these other things, they're not publicizing it. But uh, what God is doing is he's raising up businessmen, calling them to be pastors, and they go out and plant spirit-filled churches. And the way they do it is once they get one going, they'll plant another one. And what they'll do is they'll go to, to a community where there is no church. Uh, they call their churches conference halls, conference centers, but they're churches. Just Google it. You can see praise and worship. It's incredible. I came across this uh, last year. I went to a worship conference with Pastor Shake in Houston, and they had a night where they featured uh, music by uh, artists that were there from all over the world. And there was a team that stood out head and shoulders above everybody as far as the impact that they had upon my heart. And I said, where are those people from? They're from Indonesia. So I went up and met them afterwards and, and uh, found out the names of the churches that they were from. And I came home and Googled it, and it is just phenomenal what's happening. And uh, what they do, I also have a friend that went there and saw this. So this is secondhand news from an eyewitness. Herman Martyr, who pastors uh, International Worship Church in uh, Forest Park or Forest Hill. Where, where is it where there's the junkyards? Kennedale, Forest Hill, all right. Is junkyards politically correct anymore? Is it? Uh, recycling centers. Auto recycling centers. And uh, he went there to see, and he says what they do is they'll decide a community where they want to establish prayer, and obviously they pray up a storm and get ready and have a big feast. Does that sound familiar? Remember the parables? And invite the whole town to come to a feast. And the feast involves a concert and prayer for the sick, but they don't tell the people coming that there's going to be prayer for the sick. And what they do is they make the Muslim pastors, the mullahs, the guests of honor, set them at tables on the stage and honor them because Islam is more than a religion. It's, it's, it's a political ideology. It's, it's a political system that wants to rule the world. It is and dominate women and everybody. And so um, they honor them because they are the community leaders and they just have church, sing up a storm, worship up a storm, just powerful music. You'll, you'll see it when you Google this. And, uh, and then they'll ask the mullahs, do you mind if we pray for the sick? And then they just pray this big prayer, God, just come in your mighty power, reveal yourself to these people and heal those uh, that are ill in our midst. And then they ask, is there anybody that thinks they've been healed? And they'll have them come forward and have the mullahs inspect and determine whether or not they'll be allowed to testify on the stage. By the end of that event, the mullahs are begging them, come back, come back to our city. 
So there's just something mighty happening. So the results of the resurrection are just continuing. Like a tsunami across the world. Have you found John chapter 20 yet? Verse 1. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the tomb had been taken away, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. This is John, the guy telling the story. And said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple, this is John, of course, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looked in, saw the linen cloths lying there with nobody in them. (laughs) Saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He went in first. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. When you've had a, a, a formal dinner, what does it mean when you fold your napkin at the end of the dinner? It means you're done, right? It just once again, to me, this is a message. He's finished. Redemption's work has been done. Uh, verse 8. Then the other disciple who came into the tomb first, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their homes. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would enable us to communicate more than a story, but your word and how it is impacting the world and impacting our lives and should impact lives that are even in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you this morning on resurrection. Remember Tony the Tiger? Resurrection. Talk about three things. Reasons to believe in the resurrection. Results of believing in the resurrection. And responsibility for believing in the resurrection. Verse 11. By the way, if you don't have your Bible with you today, we have this text in the bulletin. But Mary stood, verse 11, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Verse 17, Then Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one is the empty tomb. 
The tomb was empty. The body, you could also say the missing body, the body was gone. The culture in which this story happened, the scenario is, is they wanted to end Jesus in, in his life, in his ministry, stop his influence because it was costing them money. They had a money-making religion going on, and they wanted to put a stop to him. So if they had taken the body, they would have produced the body. If they could have found the body, they would have produced the body because the ripple effect of this was that he who predicted his death and resurrection is alive. So in the atmosphere in which he died, it was one in which they wanted to put an end to him. The empty tomb stood as a witness. He is risen. Whether they saw him or not, where did the body go? There was guards posted. There was a Roman seal on the stone that covered the mouth of this tomb. And yet the body's missing. The soldiers were paid off to say they fell asleep, but they would have been killed for doing such a thing while on duty. They were there to ensure that the stealing of a dead body could not happen. Some would surmise that, oh, he... Uh, he must have just fainted on the cross and, and woke up and rolled this stone that was probably 1,500 pounds out of the way in his weakened state. But remember the story, after he died, just to make sure he was dead, they took a spear and pierced his side and blood and water flowed out of his side. So he bled out. There was no fainting, plus hours of torture and 20 hours of interrogation and all kinds of other things, being denied his rights. And the <clears throat> they wanted him dead. He was killed by professional executioners. These people were not morons. They knew what they were doing. So the theory that he somehow faded and recovered was a theory that came along hundreds of years later while the experts, thinking they know better than people do in the past, came up with this story. But at this time, the only story they could come up with was that the guards must have fallen asleep. You know what an expert is? An expert is a former drip out from under pressure. Sorry. All right. There's the eyewitness reports. At one point, 500 people saw him. They had stories to tell, eyewitness reports. Eyewitness reports hold weight in court, do they not? And I love this one. There's his converted family. Throughout his ministry, they followed him at a distance. But something happened at the resurrection that changed their hearts. I don't know about you, but if, if my brother, my little brother, begins to declare himself to be God, you know what? He's going away, and I'm getting his jet ski. <laughs> they were converted radically converted. Two of them wrote books of the Bible. One of, one of those two uh, became the chief spokesman for the church in Jerusalem. Radically converted because of the resurrection. If it was a hoax, they would have known it. Um, James was thrown off the top of the temple and then stoned until dead. He never recanted his faith in the resurrection of his brother. There's the transformed followers. These people were a bunch of chickens. And when the resurrection occurred and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they became fearless. And in spite of threats and actual torture, they 
proclaimed the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Something happened on Resurrection Day. Jesus arose. And then there's history confirma- history's confirmation. After three or four centuries of trying to wipe out this story, the Roman Empire embraced it. We have the after effects of that to this day called the Roman Catholic Church. I know they don't like to be called the Roman Catholic Church, but that's where it officially began when Rome embraced the resurrection story. They couldn't wipe it out. Christianity has spread around the world, and faith in this story transforms lives. All right, verse uh, 18. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, see, they were scared. They were scared. They were afraid. Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. The results of believing in the resurrection of Jesus are our lives can be reborn. These fearful people, at that moment, something began to change. A rebirthing began to occur. They needed to be filled with the Spirit, and I believe it began the moment the Lord breathed on them and told them to receive the Holy Spirit. So as a, re- a result of believing in this resurrection is new life becomes ours to receive. Our sins are all forgiven. <laughs> Our sins are all forgiven. And our lives are transformed. And I love this one. We have the authority to forgive sins. Now Jesus came and he astonished his enemies by telling people, your sins are forgiven you. God has forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. They said, how can he do that? And they had scriptural reasons to support their misunderstanding. Because the Bible said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sins. For sin to be forgiven, it has to be paid for. It's almost as though the sins are remitted and the sinners are forgiven. The sins are atoned for through a sacrifice. There's a penalty that comes with sin. It's death. The wages of sin is death. So how can this man come and just proclaim people they're forgiven? Then there's no sacrifice. Because he was the living sacrifice. The blood of the sacrifice, the eternal sacrifice that was going to be made, was already in his veins. And he was predestined from the foundation of the world to be the lamb slain. Before it ever happened, he had the authority because of who he was and what he was going to do to begin to issue forgiveness. What is blood? It's the container of our life. 
It's what transports life to all the necessary tissues and organs of our body. Nutrition, water, and oxygen gets to all the cells of our body through our blood. And death from our, our dead cells and our waste and toxins all is carried away from the cells of our body by our blood. It's a transportation system of life. You lose your blood, you have no life. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So Christ had that life in him. And he gave that life by bleeding and dying for our sins. His perfect life paid for our wicked life. But guess what? Here in this text, he gave the authority to forgive sins to his followers. That means we have a job to do means we need to tell people about Jesus and tell them about his sacrifice and tell them that their sins have been paid for. It also means those sins that have been committed against us, we have the authority to forgive those sins. And if we don't, there are consequences. Jesus said, whatever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. Whatever sins you retain, they are retained. Throughout his ministry, he preached on the importance, the importance of forgiveness and the perils of unforgiveness. The priority of forgiveness and the problems with unforgiveness. And this is what he is enforcing here. Are you retaining sins today? Or are you releasing forgiveness today? The price has been paid. We have no excuse. Yes, but you don't know what they did to me. I know. I don't know. But the resurrection has changed the dynamics of the impact of sin. That through faith in the blood of Christ, not only are we forgiven of our sins, but we can be empowered to forgive others because he paid it all. He died for me and for my enemies so that we could begin to walk in love. God did this because he is love. He is agape love, the Greek word that means sacrificial, unconditional love. He did that. So the sin has been paid for. The justice has been served. Now, police have their place in a culture. All right. Without them, sin would run rampant and this place wouldn't be fit to live in. But when it comes in terms of our relationships, where we have the sphere of authority of ministry, my fifth point here is we become ministers of reconciliation. We have no place holding unforgiveness in our hearts. Because we've been given authority to forgive, we've been given authority to retain. You do it. You've got consequences. How many addicts are there in the world that are addicts, not all of them, but some of us who are addicts are addicts because we've retained sin. We've judged someone, maybe our dad or our mom or our uncle. Be free today, Jesus. Pay the price for my sin and for the sins committed against me. He did it. 
we now have the authority because the blood's already been shed. Do you see that? Can you see it? Is it clear as blood? All right, verse 24. Now, Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve. Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. He just like walked through the wall and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. He still had his scars. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is there anybody here in the room that has that blessing? Verse 30, truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Responsibility for believing. We have a responsibility to believe. Jesus paid it all. He did the work. All he asked that we do in response to what he's done is to believe that he did it for us. It's that easy. So I have some questions that deal with our responsibility for believing. Do you only believe for those that are struggling with their believing and those that maybe don't believe in the resurrection of Christ? Let me ask you this question. Do you only believe in what you understand? Who would agree with me that knowledge is accelerated at an incredible rate? If you have to understand all the intricacies of a computer before you would use it, guess what? You're never going to catch up. You just have to trust that this thing works and jump on board and learn how to make it work. If you have to understand how electricity can flow across the country. I mean, you can understand these things, but you'll never stop learning. And if you have to understand them before you believe in them, you're going back to the kerosene lantern in the log cabin. It's the truth. How do you know the chair you're sitting in is really there? I mean, let's get into some of the weird philosophies of the world. It just gets ridiculous. Do you only believe in what you can observe? Unless I see it, taste it, smell it, only them I'm going to believe it. Well, then how do you know Abraham Lincoln lived? Well, I saw his grave. Well, how do you know he's really there? I mean, this skeptical approach to life has the appearance of wisdom, but when you carry it to its conclusion, it gets a little absurd. 
And please don't be offended because I'm not singling any person out. I'm just singling a skeptical approach to life, all right? And I know some people could become gullible and just swallow everything that comes down the pike. That's not the will of God either. He didn't say, park your brains at the door and believe in me. But if you only believe in the things you can observe, it's not true. It is not true. You believe your car got you here without seeing the sparks combust the gasoline that was flowing from the carburetor into the cylinders and pistons of your car. But you got here on the basis of the results of the things you didn't see. You see that? So we can observe the results of things and believe those things exist. I believe that you're... The cylinders in your car are firing because your car got you here. Next question. Can you believe in the testimony of others? If we don't, we shut our court system down. Obviously, witnesses need to be questioned and interrogated. Thank God for DNA testing because there's far too much injustice that happens in courtrooms. But I tell you... The world wouldn't be fit to live in if nobody believed eyewitness testimonies. While people would just run free. So the truth is you really do believe in the witness of testimony, the, the testimony of eyewitnesses. Otherwise, you would never read a newspaper, magazine, or watch the news. You wouldn't read nothing because you wouldn't believe in any of it. Right? Fourthly, can you believe in observable results? I don't see the wind, but I can see the impact of the wind on a tree. I can feel the impact of the wind on my skin. I observe the results of the wind. We can see the results of the resurrection in Indonesia. In the life of the person sitting next to you. He's risen. <laughs> and lastly, would you believe if God helped you? Will you believe if God helps you? There was a man that came to Jesus with a need, and Jesus was going to meet that need if he believed. And he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's a thing called saving faith. The Bible says, by grace are you saved. That is, saved from sin. Saved from the consequences of sin. By grace are you saved. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. By grace are you saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Is there anyone here that would like to receive more of God's grace to believe. Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. To every man is given a measure of faith. The measure of faith. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now for every person in this room that believes and needs help with their unbelieving and those who don't believe that I pray, Lord, that you, by your grace you would give the ability to believe that which is impossible to believe with our own understanding. Lord, resonate by your Holy Spirit. Resonate in the heart of every person here I ask and intercede. Resonate in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl here. The resurrection happened. 
resonate in their heart with that truth that this is true. Even though I can't see it, I wasn't there, we're centuries removed, and even though it defies my normal way of thinking in my heart, Lord, just resonate in their heart. Give them the ability to believe in Jesus' name. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not have to perish but could have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I mean, just read the newspaper. Something's wrong on the planet. The son of God didn't come to bring condemnation. But he came so that through him, the world might be saved. And it all starts with believing in him. Not a mental ascent, but taking his life seriously to the point of beginning to consider his will in your life, in your heart. And beginning to ask him for the forgiveness of your sins. If you find yourself beginning to believe the things that you hear declared every time you go to a Bible-believing church, guess what's happening? Saving faith is dawning in your heart. It's been there. God gives to every man the measure of faith. I believe it's already been there. But you finally are listening to it, allowing it to arise up in, the, in your heart. Because in our heart is a place that only God can fill. And I just want you to know, you can step out on that faith today and call on his name and be saved. Maybe at one time you followed the Lord closely and you've gotten away from him and you've come to church today just because it's Easter and you know it's the Christian thing to do, but you know you've not been following the Lord. You've not been living as a believer. If someone looked at your life, they might think you didn't believe in the resurrection and you know it's true. Today's a day you can get back on board and follow him with your whole heart. Let's pray this prayer together. Oh God in heaven, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he is risen from the dead. Now let's call on his name. Jesus, I call on your name. Save me. Forgive me. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe. I receive you now by faith in Jesus' name. My salvation story was a little complicated. I'm wrapping things up here. I was raised in a denomination that taught you were not saved until you spoke in tongues. And it took me years to try to receive this ability from God to speak in tongues And so for years I lived condemned. And then finally when I was 14, uh, under the threat of a whooping, I went to church and got the Holy Spirit with tongues. And so for years I always wondered, you know, was that real? What was that? Well, thank God His grace covers all. Amen. A few years ago, in counseling with a couple brothers, I shared a struggle in my heart that... um, 
that resulted, that affected my relationships with people, especially if I didn't know them, as well as with God. And they prayed for me, and the Lord brought to my remembrance an experience that I had always remembered. I was, I think, five years old in the beginner Sunday school class and sang a little song that I'm going to sing in a minute, Come Into My Heart, Lord Jesus. And I remember that was my first experience with the presence of God. And the Lord showed me that's where he saved me. I just didn't know it because of the unbelief that was coming at me or the disinformation, the misguided belief that I was raised around. And I began to laugh at the years of pain and agony. They just began to look silly. And so the anger towards God and towards people began to lift. And I realized our God is a loving God. He's an accepting God. He's a saving God. He wants to save. And maybe you're here and you were raised in a a cruel form of of, uh, religion or a misguided denomination per se. And I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you and he cares for you. And if your perception of God has been distorted, I want to tell you he's here today to accept you with open arms, to wash all that away. He loves you. We come to him as a child. He loves you like you are. He loves us too much to leave us that way, but we don't work our way into pleasing him. Amen? The Bible says that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The same sentence says, God is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. So what's this working out? This is simply expressing what he's put in. We work out what he works in. God is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. It's there in Philippians chapter 2. So as I sing this little song, I'm just reaching out today for those that were raised in, in, in religion and not the purest form of Christianity. And I'm not saying I have the purest form or Generations Church is the only way. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying let's let the religion fall to the side. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And just in childlike faith, just receive him. John 1 says, as many as received him, to him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God. Here's a song. I'll sing it to you one time, then I want us to sing it together. And just sing it, sing it from your heart right there in your chair. You can just close your eyes if you want. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Let's do it together. Come in to my heart, come in to my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord
It can be just that simple. But don't we have to repent? Right. But by inviting him to come into our heart, are we not repenting of an empty life? (laughs) I've been so filled with myself, I need a Savior to come and fill me. That's simple. You can sing that with your heart. Maybe you did today. And it can happen. You can become his child. If it happened, I want to know. Come and talk to me after service. Let's stand. I want you guys to have a wonderful resurrection day. Awesome day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may He come into your heart every day with fullness. May you open the door of your heart to Him every day because He wants to come in. He's knocking. He wants to come in and sup with you, fellowship with you every day. No matter what you've done, if you need forgiveness, ask Him. He's paid the price. Amen. I bless you. You're dismissed. Go get them, tigers. Have a great day. to me the strong
little something to say, you know, I understand. All right, listen, listen. You know, what we're all about, prophetic, we are, what we're all about. Did you quit playing? Thank you. 